Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. I was fired up in today's episode of The Protagonistas because I chat with doctora, church planter, Afro-New Yorican Boricua Liz Rios about the Latina church, barrio theology, progressive Pentecostalism, and so much more. I loved chatting with Liz because she brings her full self to the table, which is such a gift and such an honor. Liz grew up in El Barrio of New York City and her understanding of God, her faith, and everything in between is shaped from that experience. I mentioned this in my interview, but I also love chatting with Pentecostals because they bring a fire and a Holy Spirit confidence and a power that is contagious. It makes me want to cast out demons in my daily life. And when I say demons, as I explain in the episode, a lot of the times I'm referring to societal and systemic demons like white supremacy and sexism and homophobia and such, but that can be its own conversation. Anyway, I hope this episode encourages you and moves you and lights a fire in you to learn your history and know your roots and get excited about all the things the Latina church has to offer, because it's a whole lot. Also, I've officially released applications for Abuelita Faith launch team. Application is on my social media where you can also find a form to fill out if you pre-ordered, where you'll receive two exclusive episodes of The Protagonistas as a thank you gift. This conversation got me so excited about the release of my book, and I hope you get excited too. Dale, friends, enjoy the episode, and welcome to The Protagonistas. So thank you so much, Doctora Liz Rios, for being with us today and for sharing all of your wisdom and insight. I would love for folks to hear about you, just um, who you are, and particularly, I always ask people what their spiritual background is. So what was faith like for you growing up and like, what was the journey to get to where you are now? Well, first, thank you, Kat, for having me on. I'm really honored to, to be here with you today. And and as far as my spiritual background, it's funny because we don't really think about that um, most of the time, especially um, growing up in, in the Spanish church. You know, we just kind of move through the motions. Um, you know, we don't really ask questions about our spiritual heritage or anything like that. And and I started asking questions about mine um, really, really late in life, you know. Um, so to tell you a little bit about my story, I'm a daughter of a Boricua woman um, who was a single parent. My dad was um, a preacher and a barber who also had an alcoholic problem. And my mom um, had really came to a place where she didn't really want to go to church or believe in church because of what, what my father was doing to her. Um, we were raised Catholic until about uh, about the age of nine. My dad had left me when I was two years old. And um, it was my uncle who came and 
basically started taking me to church and believe it or not, don't tell anyone, but I do have some Baptist roots. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, um, I don't, I don't, I don't shout that too much because you know, of everything that's going on, but yeah, I do have some Baptist roots. He's took me to Baptist church, like I said, Bautista. And, um, from there, he took me to the church that he ended up going to, which was like Lesa Cristiana Primitiva, which is on the lower East side of Manhattan, an AG Pentecostal church who also had Baptist roots, we come to find out. Um, and that's where I came to know the Lord. That's where I, I came to understand, you know, the Holy Spirit, um, find my way around my call. And, and that's where I met my husband. Um, so really, we, you know, my, most of my life was formed in this particular church. And to this day, I still have it in my life because my brother-in-law is the pastor. So um, I, I go back and forth. But, you know, um, for the most part, with, I don't remember a lot of the Baptist um, um, uh, teachings, but I do uh, have a lot of memory of what we did when I was in the Pentecostal church, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So I, I love chatting with folks that have history in the Pentecostal church, because I feel like that's something that can never be taken away from you. Right. Like no matter what, there's this strong Pentecostalism within you. Um, I know, you know, people kind of like joke about it, but you can deconstruct or you can decolonize or you can do whatever. But then at the end of the day, you're like casting out demons and, you're, you know, <laughs> and I just love that so much, you know, because obviously being raised Catholic is very different going from Catholic to Baptist, you know, I, I just never had too much exposure to that. So I, I, I love it so much. And I, I respect it so much, particularly as I decolonize and as I um, read stories in the Bible of, of embodied faith. And I feel like a lot of Pentecostalism is embodied in many ways, um, you know, whether it's through dance or, you know, movements of the body or just things that um, expressions of, of, you know, your love or worship for God that comes out in the body. And so I really appreciate that. So um, you wrote a chapter I do want to talk to you about church planning because I know that's like your thing, but since we're already talking about Pentecostalism, yeah. we'll just go ahead on that train. But um, you wrote a chapter about Pentecostalism and Latina, particularly Latina Pentecostals in New York, uh, New York City. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about that, but I'm just going to kind of quote you here and there and then um, just have you elaborate. So you wrote uh, that these progressive Pentecostals, as you call them, have simultaneously taken a traditional vertical focus on being more like Jesus and a horizontal focus that is demonstrated through Jesus's ministry calling. Um, and then you kind of put Luke 4, 18 through 19, which says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. Um, so first, can you talk to us about what progressive Pentecostal is? Um, I think that's an interesting term um, because I know much of, you know, traditional Pentecostalism can be very different um, than the progressive Pentecostalism. So talk to us about that. And then can you elaborate on this coming together of traditional vertical and then Jesus horizontal, if you will? Yeah. So, you know, I wrote that chapter a while ago. So that was before, um, you know, like just like now we hear the word evangelical and we know that it's been co-opted and it means a lot of different things. And it's, and it's a trigger for a lot of us. The same thing with progressive, um, you know, so now it's, it's, you know, means a lot of different things than that when, when I wrote this chapter, but basically it's, it, it was meant to kind of um, encapsulate people that believed that the Holy Spirit was um, moving them and driving them to do more than just pray a prayer. Um, because that we're good at that. We're good at, at, at you know, all, all the different, um, uh, you know, 
church and denominations and things like that. They're all good at saying a prayer and things like that. Or, um, but, but I felt that in this particular time, and we had uh, history to prove that a lot of Pentecostals, they took that Luke 4 really serious. And they not only went out to preach, because we're good at that, right, the proclamation, but the part that we weren't good at is the demonstration. So they also felt that not only are we going to go out there and tell them the good news, but we're also going to find ways to free the prisoners. And, and um, my spiritual dad, he has a book called Liberty to the Captives. And he talks about that as well there too, that, you know, when, when we're talking about people that are captive in this captive world because of sin, there's a lot of different things that they're going through. Um, you they're going through, uh, uh, you know, addictions, and they're going through all these social issues. So, so we have a responsibility as well to get involved in those things. And what we have been good at, again, is putting a bandaid on it. And not to say that there is no power in prayer, because as us Pentecostals do believe in, you know, praying. Right. But we also believe that um, you have to put some legs to your theology. And that means that you have to get out there and, um, you know, get involved in civic advocacy, um, you know, not only start a pantry, but, you know, to, to deal with the issue, but also look at what are the root issues and see if you can right. develop something in your community based on that. So um, there's a book that I, I, um, I actually did my dissertation, I quoted a lot from it, um, and it was called Global Pentecostalism, The New Face of Christian Social Engagement. And basically they defined it um, as uh, any political, um, any Christians who are not linked to any political movement, who claim to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus to seek to holistically address the spiritual, physical and social needs of people in their community. And that's why at the time I, I said I'm a progressive Pentecostal because I was totally in that lane where I believe that those two things had to be meshed together. So it's not that we were, um, what we're always doing, trying to not only be more like Jesus, but focus on um, you know, getting to heaven and forgetting about the shalom building that we had to do here on earth. Um, so, so that's what I meant when I said those two things are, are, you know, put together that progressive Pentecostals and anyone else that, you know, feels this drive from, from the spirit to, to get involved in the social ills of our society, that they have to put those, those two things together, because you could be a social worker and, and, and address some of the social ills, but you don't have the power of the spirit when you're proclaiming some of these things and using, and, and, and you basically don't use the gospel. So if we're saying that, you know, you know, Jesus came to set the captives free. We have to think about it holistically uh, as, you know, Rene Padilla, who recently passed away, he talked about Mission Integral. And, and that's how we basically see this. Progressive Pentecostals basically practice Mission Integral. Mm, that's so good. Well, first, I love that you kind of made that distinction or you kind of alluded to the fact that language evolves. I think that that's so important because I've seen that so much recently. Um, and then I also love how you mentioned just the notion of the power of the spirit. Um, I think um, like what I mentioned before, what I love about folks who, who come from Pentecostal traditions that is that there is still so much this power in the Holy Spirit, power in, you know, and, and I think that in many ways in Christianity, like we look at the injustices in the world and we look at, you know, all of the crap for lack of a better word going on and we forget that there is power right we forget that that like no actually there is power in the holy spirit and there is power in in this and yeah and i think a lot of times even for myself you know i want to focus so much on doing the right thing or whatever or trying to fight this this sort of way or but not leaning as much into this 
supernatural power that um, we have, which I love that you mentioned. I thought that was really good. Um, and this kind of reminds me of something else that you said that I think is so good. You obviously speak to it in, in the context of Pentecostals, but I think that this speaks to like so many Christians in general. And you say, quote, what is evident in Latina Pentecostal faith-based activism is that the old individualistic salvation model proved to be too limited. Pentecostals often found themselves blaming el diablo, the devil, for everything, when in reality, the problems were social and structural. So I used to live in New Orleans, and I remember um, when I was there, I was very much in like a very conservative and um, sort of Christianity that wasn't, didn't focus on systemic issues. And it wasn't until I left that I realized, you know, in New Orleans, there's, there's this huge voodoo movement, you know, there's so much that enslaved Africans brought over their religion and things like that. And I remember so much of the conversation was like, you know, New Orleans is so dark and New Orleans is so lost. And, you know, we need to pray against the devil because the devil has a stronghold on this city and all these things. Right. And I, you know, after I left, I just found myself so sad because all of my focus while I was there was on this, you know, so-called demonic, whatever, but we never talked about how New Orleans was a hub of, <clears throat> excuse me, of slavery. Uh, I mean, the tra- that's where, you know, ships would go through um, to do their trades. I mean, the French Quarter was like where, you know, and there's so much um, horrific, demonic, sinful activity tied to Christians and slavery. And that has nothing to do with voodoo, right? Like really it has to do with systemic and societal issues and structural issues. And I just remember being so sad that that was completely overlooked. And so we're here casting out demons when we should be casting out the demons of white supremacy. Um, So I love that you mentioned that we blame everything on this, like this, you know, spiritual demonic thing, but also how can we tie that or, or how can we speak to the fact that societal and structural issues are demonic too, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because again, there, you know, our people, um, sometimes it's easy to just blame everything on the devil. You don't have to do the work when you do that, right? right? You could just say, Diablo lo hizo, you know, the devil did it and, and that's it. But as, be, as our generations become more educated, now they're asking a little bit more of the harder questions like, okay, why do you say that? And I, as a Pentecostal, as I grew up, um, I always wondered why we, we say we have the power of the spirit, but we was always the ones that were running away from mm-hmm. the things that we should have been casting down and saying that God has power over. And, yeah. and the other part about it is that we don't know our history. We don't know history, period. Right. We don't know our own history and we don't know American history. So right. because we don't know that, we really can't be as prophetic as God would want us to be mm. because you have to be a historian first before you can be a prophetic right. person. And just like you mentioned, all these different things that have happened in New Orleans, you know, even I, I went to Loisa um, uh, two years ago where also there was a big influx of um, slave ships that went there and dropped off people and our communities, our Latino communities, right? They're like, so um, uh, just, you know, anti-Black in so many ways, again, because they don't know history. And we don't really um, look at all these things to say, what can I be informed of better? As, as believers, as leaders, as spiritual leaders, we should be doing more than blaming the devil. We should be, one, believing that God has the power to, to change all of this stuff, because then what are we doing here? Just waiting to get to heaven, right? 
And, and again, you know, if, if, if people read scripture, you know, if heaven may not be in the sky, but that's like a whole nother thing. Um, so, so people need to do a little bit of the work, you know, if they're really interested in, in being people that are gardeners of shalom on this side of heaven, they need to pick up a book. They need to, um, and I'm not talking about formal education because everybody right. cannot do that. Everybody cannot afford that. But they need to, you know, get the information so that they are more informed and understand that there was a history before they got there and there will be more history after they're gone. And we need to know that in order to see how was God moving that we um, didn't listen, you know, that we uh, allowed um, these things to happen in, in our society, because like you said, you know, Christian, um, you know, churches in general have been complicit to all, all these different things that, and we're realizing this more now, but people need to, to, to ask themselves, what do they really believe? Because again, we are people with the power of the spirit. And if we are people that believe that, that truly believe that, then we know that, that it's not just about, you know, um, doing the work here for a particular agency or speaking against a particular systemic um, issue. It's about believing that as we are more educated on those issues, there's more that we can talk to about right. it, to the people, to the, to the, you know, the, the, the powers that, that can do something about it. Right. Right. That's so good. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like so many people are and, and even, especially Latinos, I know I've experienced this so much in my community yeah, we know so much about the revolution, but what about everything before that? You know, I feel like we're so allergic to wanting to, you know, know more information, um, maybe because it's painful, maybe for whatever reason, I don't know. But yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. I think the more that we know, it just opens more doors for us to do more for us to serve God more. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, a, it's not uh, an either or thing, right? You, you can serve God, you can worship God and in your tradition and however you want. But the more that you know, and the more that you're informed, the more that you can do and the more that you can, you know, um, the better that can, I don't know, be. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Like, but everything that we're seeing right now in society is because people haven't learned, people haven't been educated, all, all these right crazy things that are happening and people have been, you know, fallen into all these um, conspiracy theories and in the church, I mean, goodness right. gracious, it's because, you know, you, you just believe, and especially in the Latino community, we believe that the pastor is the man um, right. and we have to follow them no matter what, don't question. But as you realize, you know, as you're learning, it, even about scripture, you see all these fallen people and you realize that, you know what? They, they, they are not perfect. And I can't just put all my faith in that person. I got to believe that, you know, as, as I'm reading scripture and as I take off this Western lens right. that I can see it from a decolonized perspective, mm -hmm. using that word, right. Yeah. And, and looking at it from the, the people's perspective, not from the power perspective. Right. That's so good. That's so good. Um, and then another thing that you mentioned that I, I also want to highlight was I always say that a good theologian is also a good historian. I think this just goes with that. You have to, yeah, you have to be a good historian in order to be a good theologian. I don't think you can do one and not do the other. Uh, and then also, you know, um, this idea, I feel like so many Christians ignore the phrase on earth as it is in heaven, you know, like that's what we're attempting to do is yes. on earth as it is. So it's not just like you mentioned, we're not just trying to get to heaven. No, we're trying to do on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I, I love that phrase. I'm always trying to, that's so true. Heaven, you know, okay. So 
you're from New York city and you know, that's where you were shaped and that's where you were formed. And so much of what we're talking about here, whether it's historical, you know, there's so much history of Puerto Ricans in, in New York and um, whether it's, you know, the way that Christianity uh, has been interwoven into all of that. Um, and there's this awesome little phrase or maybe not a phrase, but it's awesome little thing called barrio theology. And I love that. I love um, because it gives, I feel like those two words give so much to uh, specifically the Puerto Rican experience, you know, in, in NYC. So if you want to talk to us, what is Barrio Theology? What's been your experience with it? Um, and yeah, just elaborate on it. Yeah, well, I, I started using that because I started thinking about myself. I'm actually writing something uh, along those lines um, because I consider myself a barrio girl, right? And basically barrio is the hood. I grew up in the hood in the projects around all these different societal ills that we, you know, we were just talking about. So I feel that there are lessons that we kind of, just like we, there are lessons that we don't look at when it comes to the church, because there was a time period when um, my generation was like, I'm out, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about the church anymore. But I, I think that there have been a lot of errors, but there has also been a lot of uh, jewels. Um, you know, Robert Chow Romero talks about the community cultural wealth, right, in, in those spaces. And, and I, I, I think now, because I'm older, I've been able to just kind of look back and just value, yeah, there's a lot of things that I, I was hurt with, you know, and, and I could talk about that and I could probably fill up a book about it, but I could also fill up a book with all the gems, all the different things that I learned about it. And as a, I, I identify as a Afro New Yorican Boricua, you know, mm -hmm. and that says a lot right there um, because, you know, th there's a special kind of flavor that you have growing up in New York City and as a Boricua. And it's, it's important to, you know, self-identify, right? To, to, right? to say what it is, because it's like, what, 20 subgroups of Latino. Um, um, so right. we're all very different. But I think, you know, when I look back at the, at the barrio and how I was raised and, and what I learned from the ancianos, you know, the elders, or what I learned from my mom or, or what you are writing about with Abuelita uh, Faith, there's a lot of things that 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 kind of kick up and make me think about um, th this was this made me who I am. So one of them was you know familia, right? So for us, you know, la familia, la, una familia. So sometimes you know when, when I would get into you know um, arguments with my family or whatever, you know, because that happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, a mom would be like. Mira, somos una familia. You know, remember, we're one family. So for us, you know, that was something that was really important um, at growing up, you know, like no matter what. And even if it was like a, a, a friend down the street, if they were Latino, they were familia. You know, even if it was, um, you know, the bodega man or whatever, you know, the, the person that was selling you the cafe and the, the sandwiches. Another thing was that they would say a lot to me was de paso, you know, like you're passing through, like, like basically chill out, you know, mm -hmm. and remember that you're passing through. And to me, it reminds me of, of just like when Abraham was called, you know, to leave his country, right? To, you know, like we're just passing through and, yeah. and not to take some of the things that hit us hard especially as Latinos in the United States, so heavy. Because we do take things, you know, a pecho, we take it really hard sometimes. But if we remember that we're going through, it's just, we're just passing through, vamos paso, paso. It helps you to deal. Like even right now, what I'm dealing with with my son in the hospital, um, you know, 30 surgeries, all these different things, you know, I feel, I feel calm because you know what? That has been with me in otro paso. And I know that I, he's going to be with me now. And I think that is one of the things that I remember from, you know, the, the barrio saying, that that our family would tell us or another one was 
Dios va a proveer, that he's going to provide. And, you know, no matter what, I mean, you know, if we were eating arroz con huevo, because I didn't know at the time that it was that my mother didn't have any money for like a meat. I just knew that today was arroz con huevo day and, you know, rice and eggs. Uh, for those that don't know Spanish. And I was able to know that no matter what, you know, my mom would be like, you know, serving that and thanking God because he provides. So maybe I didn't have a steak dinner that day, but I didn't know I was, I didn't have anything. I didn't know I was even poor. I didn't know I was poor until I got to high school. So that, that is something that I think about. Another thing that I think about with, you know, that barrio theology and barrio faith is, you know, that they taught us that our roots matter that no matter what, you know, where you come from, your, your family is so important. And, and that is what will give you the strength to know who you come from. So not only is it your family, but also who you are in God. Right. So I think about all those things. I think about, you know, how, I don't know if this was something that happened in the in Cuban families too, but they remember it was about, you don't eat all your, all your meals or you only Ooh. eat one, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and it taught me to be grateful for what I have, you know, that it may not necessarily be, you know, what, what I would picture as a, a, you know, wonderful meal, but the fact that I have three meals that I, or whatever many meals that I have, that I have something to go into the pantry and, and get something out of that, that also, um, so all these different things, you know, respecting your elders, being able to, to look at everything with multiple purposes, you know, like the broken hanger, my mom would use it as an antenna, right? <laughs> Um, and learning how to do that too. Like in our lives, we go through so many different things and we have to be able to, to look at them and say, what purpose does this serve? Not only is there's a personal purpose that it serves for us to grow in some way, but sometimes it's really to be able to take it back out of your toolbox and get through another situation. Right. So to me, there was a lot of barrio sayings and doings that kind of sustained me and made me the resilient person that I am and allowed me to, yes, to cry and to, and to be sad, but to know that I was going to get through it. Mm, That's so good. Uh, As you were talking, I just kept thinking about how rich and how deep, you know, there's nothing that's surface level. There's no, even sayings, like we're just passing through, like there is a depth there, um, because of history, because of community, because of, you know, the interwovenness of who you got, who you are in your barrio, right? Um, that there's so much depth and there's so much richness. And there's yeah, authenticity and, because, yeah. because they would be, you know, like you would ask someone, you know, how you're doing? And they would be like, la piña ta agria, right? That's like mm-hmm. a big Puerto Rican saying, mm-hmm. which basically means, you know, we're struggling. You know what I mean? But again, remembering that we're going to get through this, you know, um, right. and that's, that's what I love about the streets that mm-hmm. they weren't even trying to cover it up. They were like, yo, right. this is what we're going through, but um, this is, on la brega, you know, right, we're, right, we're, right. We're, we're hustling here to, to make things happen. We're not going to let this right. bring us down. And that's what I think even for the whole um, population of Latinos that right. shows that, you know, no matter what, I mean, we, we will rise up, you know, you could count maybe one, two, but by three, we're getting back up. Right. That's so you know? That reminds me, um, I have a chapter in my book called Resolviendo, and it's all about like, just how, how you mentioned, like um, Latinos in this country, 
and and not even in this country because you know I, I got, actually got that term um, and it's referring to Cubans that are currently still in Cuba right now but it's the idea of just resolviendo. You have to resolved. You have to figure it out. You know, you're living your day, you know, and this reminds me of the Lord's prayer of give me today my daily bread. And it's the yes. idea that I'm not thinking about, you know, I don't have the luxury to think about next year or five years or 10 years. I'm thinking about my daily bread. I'm thinking about my, you know, my, my bread tomorrow. I'm, and I think there, again, there's just something authentic, as you mentioned, that's so good. There's something rich, there's something deep. And, it, and I feel like it's counter to what the dominant culture says is rich and deep. But I think that daily survival, there's something about daily, there's something about being embodied, being being present, being in the moment, trusting in God every moment, like mm -hmm. not just, oh God, yeah, no, but God will provide today and then tonight and then tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, there's something, um, so as you were saying that, I just kept thinking, yeah, just you guys are resolviendo, you know, we're just resolviendo, we're just figuring right. it out. We're just- right. And, 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 that's, that, and that's different from the, what we've been told, especially that colonizer value that we have to have it all together and we have to be right. perfect, right? And a five-year so, plan. Exactly, exactly. Right. And so we have to embrace that how we have um, navigated our, our world and how our parents and how our grandparents, that, that, is, that, that was just fine. That was good. That was good. You know what I mean? Right. And, and we can look back at it and not be ashamed of it, but actually right. say, you know what, the, that attitude is what helped us to get through a lot of the stuff that we've been through. Right. I wouldn't right. be here talking to you if I felt I had to be perfect. All right. Yeah, no, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Um, I like to say how you mentioned like that is good. That struggle is good. And Abuelita Faith, I say, you know, La Lucha is holy. It is in just that survival. Like it's just getting through the day to day it's, you know, la lucha. It's, I think it's, it's a holy and it's a sacred thing. And yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that that's what gives our community as diverse as they are and as, you know, different as we are, but that's what gives our community strength and resilience and, you know, resistance and persistence and all these things um, yep, yep. that I think. So along those lines, I know that you've already obviously touched on this so much, but actually we did a fun little thing together for World Vision about the Latina church. And that was fun to be in that space with you. So if you want to share a little bit about just the Latina church and what gifts the Latina church has to offer the church at large, um, I think that this is so important because, you know, talk about whether it's the Latina church or the black church, or it's very contextualized, right? We're a lecture in a seminary class or we're a book that's assigned to read, but yeah, what gifts do we have to offer? Yeah, no, that was a fun thing. And, and, and I had fun too, because it, you know, it reminded us about, yes, that we do have a lot to offer. And a lot of times, you know, like you said, we're kind of like something to be studied because they're looking at us from a deficiency lens, right? Like yeah. bendito, no, we don't need bendito. As a matter of fact, it, it's okay to, to take a seat and learn from the Brown church because there's so many things that we can contribute to the global church and, and, and to people in general, right? Um, so one of the things that I love besides, and I mentioned this uh, at that event, was, you know, the fiesta, right? That we we bring joy. And, and I don't like the depiction that they usually put us in in commercials that we're just like drinking beer and having a party that way. But again, because we, we have been through struggle, we also know how to celebrate when we're in those high moments, right? We, we're, we're able to celebrate that God has got us through. And we do that well. I think that, you know, we exhibit that, that faith in God, that no matter what is going to come my way, I know that I'm going to make it to the other side. And when we do, tremendo party. party. 
Tremendo party, exactly, exactly. Which also suggests that that we're good at um, adjusting to whatever reality hits us at the moment. Listen, I was supposed to be on vacation today. I was supposed to be going on vacation and I was gonna talk to you from my vacation spot. And then this you know, happened to me with my son. And I adjust and like everybody does, you know, I had a friend who her husband died, then her, um, she started going through some physical situations and it all impacts, right? All the different things, all the way that our, the script is flipped in our lives makes us either just like sit down and, and give up in defeat or rise up and say, I'm going to make it. I may, I may crawl to the next stop, but I'm going to get there. And that is the resiliency of our people. So I think the Latino church has shown that they're, you know, we, we're flexible, you know, we're not rigid, like it has to be this way. We're like, no, it won't, you know, we would like it to be this way, but si no, we're going to do whatever we have to do. You know, we have a willingness to work hard, right? You know, um, no matter what, we're not afraid of work. That's the, the least thing you have to worry about with us. You know, we have a tremendo work ethic. And, um, and that also is something that some people could learn from, you know, and again, you know, that the whole, um, I mentioned that at the event as well, that difference between the individual and the collective, right? Mm. In, in Latino communities, we're very much, again, como de la familia. So because of that, we see everybody as part of that unit of la familia. So even in the church, you know, if you, there's a difference between the Latino church and a dominant culture church. And if you haven't experienced it, then you missed out <laughs> because um, you feel like family, you know, they, they automatically make you feel like you belong. And because of that, you know, they're always making decisions based on what is best for the collective, not necessarily what is best for me. And, th and that's important. And I think that is a major lesson for the, for the times that we're living in right now, that so many people have made decisions based on what is best for me. And, um, and it should have been what is best for us. And another thing that the, that the Latino church, I believe, contributes to the, that they bring to the table for the global churches, missional perspective, you know, the, that strong missional perspective that whatever they're doing, lo van a hacer pa Dios, they really believe, and I mentioned that in the chapter too, these women that I wrote about, they didn't care that people said they shouldn't be preaching and they shouldn't be pastoring. They believe that God called them out, set them apart, and, and sent them out to these dangerous communities to do what they believe God wanted them to do. And, and our community is strong about that, that they will um, be the, the faithful pastor in the storefront for 40 years that never grows to be a mega church. They will do that because of their strong missional perspective that I'm doing this for God. And I am, I'm, I'm a co-laborer with God to, to, you know, to help bring transformation to this community. So, and, and another thing, and I'll leave it at that is our worship is kicking, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, a body. <laughs> okay. That's where we, we, we bring everything together, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it, you, so there's another difference there too. I I'm in Florida now coming from New York city. And that's been one of the hardest things to, to find, um, you know, a, a church that, that has, um, lively worship, you know, that understands that this moment we are an audience with God, you know, instead of like, Los vamos. I, I don't know. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. Okay. So I think, um, that's another thing that we can contribute to, to if people listen, you know, we just have a high level of commitment to the things of God and, and to keeping it moving, no matter what, what is thrown our way. Whew. I'm like, yes, so inspired. So as you were talking, I just kept thinking, 
so much of the, you know, the Latino community uh, as a whole, and of course, in individual ways. And by that, I just mean in different communities, but there's a confianza, right? There's like a confidence, there's a trust in who we are. And I think it goes back to what you were saying that, man, we're resilient. We've been through so much. Our communities have been through so much. And because, you know, we have a trust that God has been there, will always be there. We can sort of rest in this confianza in a confidence in a, in a, you know, I know confianza is not the a confidence isn't the exact translation. It's sort of like, yeah, like a confidence and a trust and a comfortable, com, com, comfortability, you know, like we're comfortable in that, right. In that truth, in that truth of who God is in the truth of who we are. And I think that just goes back to dancing and the party and the worship and the, you know, there's just so much. Um, and I think of it of the, of the women that you wrote about and the women that you mentioned, there's a confidence in who you are called by God. You know, I always say that when every once in a while, you know, the society or Christian culture wants to go crazy about should women preach? And I'm just like, I'm so tired of those conversations. I'm going to be over here preaching. You guys can Hello. argue about whether I can preach or not. I don't that, care. I'm with you there. So it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Every every few years we revisit that whole conversation. I used to teach a class at the seminary in New York City, um, you know, women in urban ministry. And I would tell them all the time, listen, we don't got time for the debates. Do right. what God called you to do. Let them continue to talk about it. And, and when God comes, they're going to still be talking about it. Right. But, but, I, but we're, we're on our way. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't to have those debates either. <laughs> exactly. Well, with that, um, I know church planting is like your thing. Um, uh, you actually started the Passion to Plant Network. Okay. So if you want to talk to us about that and then also um, talk to us about, you know, your passion of church planting um, and as your desire, as you've written um, to reimagine church and also how the fact that, you know, how gender plays a role in that, how women in church planting, because that's also, you know, a whole other conversation, right? Women church planters. So if you want to, yeah, just talk at the intersection of those. Sure. So, you know, everything that I've experienced in life led me to do this. So I planted um, three churches um, with teams, but by myself, but been a pastor, kind of held various different roles. And, and, and again, I'm older, you know, I, I'm in my 50s now. And, um, you know, I, by virtue of just age, you know, I've been able to look back and see where we really messed up, where, where we were trying to, to continue to build models that don't work for our people. And it's already been discussed that everything that people have been trying to do with the multi-ethnic church does not work. So I decided um, after going through a few uh, uh, church planting network trainings and, and seeing that, not that they were doing a bad job, but that there was some things missing with what they were teaching. I felt that um, a church that goes into um, urban communities need to be rooted in justice, of course, in Jesus, but also right. in justice. And, you know, and, and I started doing my dissertation on that. And and that was before everything, you know, kind of imploded in, in, you know, in the United States with, with the whole word of, you know, justice and critical race theory and everything like that. But um, I felt that churches, you know, church planters and pastors needed to under, get a theology. Why do you need a theology of justice when you're planting a church? And, and, and help them to understand that this is not a man-made idea. This is a God idea. Throughout the canon of scripture, we see how God cared about justice um, for, for his people and for all, and why he wanted his people to be pendiente, to, to be mindful of 
of what they were doing. And, and not only that, they, they, they had a covenant with God, but that the covenant also encompassed them being neighborly to their people. So um, I decided to plant this network in the, in the middle of the pandemic, April, 2020. Wow. And um, yeah, you know, I was like, hey, we don't have nothing else to do. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> um, I said, you know what? There is no network that's talking about this. And as far to my knowledge, there is no network that's led by a woman and that is fully egalitarian. When I oh, say yeah. fully egalitarian, because now people are trying to like, you know, make themselves look like they're egalitarian right. by putting people exactly. on certain things. No, I'm talking about that. We believe that women can be ordained to be pastors and yeah. not just staff pastors, right. lead Leading. pastors. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so we're very different in that regard. Now, does that, um, um, you know, like kind of like put me in a different category with maybe not as much support as I could get? Absolutely. But I'm okay being there. I'm, I'm done with the, 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 you know, settling for platforms, settling for partnerships. I'm done with that. We're very upfront about who we are. And if people believe in that, then yes, we, we would love to partner with people because I'm so passionate about it. I want people to think about planting and reimagining churches that don't look like anything that we've seen. So the models that we usually get are the big launch model. You have to launch with a lot of people, have a big launch team, have a big group coming to the first service. And that after the attrition, that there's a lot of people so that you can have enough money to pay back all the people that you took money from so that um, you, know, you can survive. And, and I'm telling these guys, you know what? How, what is the model that is in your mind that you believe God gave you? So, so that means that, yeah, it, it's okay. In our Latino community, we started in living rooms, right? We right. started in cocinas. We started in, in bakeries, whatever works, you know? Um, and we have people like that right now, you know? And then we have some digital pastors as well. So, you know, COVID kind of introduced that whole um, model. So to me, um, it was really important that church planters get, get a, a different take on what does it mean to, to start a church. And we want them to have Jesus and justice and that holistic ministry mindset in their DNA from day one. And that's why we started the network. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's so good. I think there, there's something different about having starting from the ground and starting with that Jesus and justice versus trying to add justice later on, you know, it's, it's completely different. Um, so I think you're, you know, you're right on track with that. And how did you get into church planning? Like, how did you get passionate about that? Well, I was, I was a pastor and I was a, a pastor in a, in, a, in a church plant. And that was like way before this was like a buzz. You know what I mean? Like, again, you know, I'm in my 50s. So, I, you know, I, I was doing this already, you know, really young. And I, I started to read, you know, some of the books that were the, the very limited books that were out there on, on starting churches. And everything, I just felt like, my goodness, like, where are we? Where are our people? What do we have to say? And a lot of times, you know, um, then I, I decided, my husband and I decided, um, we were at a church for 10 years, and, and we decided to plant our own church. Mm -hmm. And um, and we realized that when you follow the, the sheet that they give you, basically, oh, do this, you know, the checklist, do this, do this, do this, that doesn't necessarily work for church planters of color. And so we wanted to make them aware of that so that instead of setting them up for failure, that we're letting them know that depending on where you go, depending on the people that you have supporting you, um, it may go a, a variety of different ways. And also we wanted to, when we first planted, we didn't necessarily have an idea of who we wanted to be. We were planting with who they were. Mm -hmm. 
And so we learned after the fact that, and like you said, it's a totally different thing to try to uh, change the course of a ship once it's sailed. Because people join churches based on what they say their beliefs are and their values are. So if you switch it up on them, it's like a bait and switch, right? And they, if they, and especially here, like I know I'm in Florida and a lot of people are not really interested in justice down here. You know what I mean? I know that there's pockets of them. And if there's anybody listening to this and they're a believe in that hit me up because, you know, we need those people. But um, for the most part in Florida, it's, you know, not that way at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, for those of you listening who are uh, in or near Miami, um, I know that <laughs> Dr. Liz Rios is near Miami. So um, and as an Afro-Latina near Miami, that is a whole other thing. Um, I can only imagine. Um, so yeah, that is so encouraging. And I think that um, what you're doing is so necessary, obviously, and so rich. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, um, to have women leading that and starting that is also very different, right? It's very different than having a man do it and then invite you know women to come versus, you know, I think that your formula is so um, counter to what we know and therefore I think is revolutionary and I think is, um, yeah, just super important. So if you guys want to get involved or just hear more about Passion to Plant, I can put that in the show notes um, for you guys. And um, yeah, so as we close here, um, is there anywhere where folks can find you? And also, I know that you have a lot of letters behind your name. If you just want to share a little bit about um, any of the work that you might be doing right now or any of the work that you've done in the past that folks might be interested in. Yeah, um, well, uh, I, I have a doctorate of education, a doctor of ministry, and I decided to get the doctor of ministry. I didn't think I was going to go back for a doctorate because it is a little crazy, but I did it because I felt like, again, I, I wanted to um, be able to be in the room and not be dismissed, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't have the theological background because that happens, right? Um, so, so that's why I did it. And, um, and I'm glad that I did. I'm not, I don't regret that at all. Um, and I, I work with the Sen Institute too, which is a think tank, um, in North America for church planters. So you can look that up at seninstitute.com. And, um, and you know, we, we, there's a lot of research there that people can look at when, if they're, especially if they're interested in church planting, um, we did a, a research on uh, Latino church planting about uh, uh, two years ago. And that's a report that's there. You can find me at, um, elizabethreels.com. That's kind of like my space, where I, my all encompassing place where I put all the different things, um, my, my articles, any podcasts, things like that. Um, and, and passion to plant.com, um, you know, again, it's a, a new ministry. It's under the Passion Center, which is, is basically um, being um, in the process right now of being um, reimagined itself, you know, into this digital kind of space because the people involved in it are in, in Washington, New York, and here in Florida. So we're, we're going to have different expressions of that in those places. So, um, you know, they can find us at um, also at Latino Leadership Circle. Um, that's where a lot of us Latino ministers are kind of like, talking about some of these issues that are important to us as we have evolved because all of us have Pentecostal roots, um, but, but we're not what we used to be, but we're definitely not what we're gonna be. And in that process of involvement, we're, we're talking about all the things that we're thinking about and still struggling with. That's so good. We're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're going to be. And so, yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, I think that is the perfect way to describe what many of us are on on this faith journey. And I think being able to name that and name that you're, you've never arrived and we won't. And that's a good thing, right? We're not going to arrive at this place of 
enlightenment or maturity or whatever. I think we're in a constant process. And so thank you for, for sharing that. And for sharing all the things that you're up to, you know, these Enneagram 8s, I'm telling you, especially these Latina Enneagram 8s, we're always up to a million things. <laughs> but um, yeah, so thank you so much. I'm going to, like I said, put all of this in the show notes. Um, and yeah, it was so fun chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. And I, I follow you too. And I'm really excited about your, you know, upcoming book. Can't wait to, I already ordered it, pre-ordered it anyway. So, Yay, you. you know, we're, 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 we're excited about that. And yes, we will party with you when that comes out. <laughs> Yay. Okay. I'm going to